0: This week on the Divided Opinion podcast.
1: My name is Joel. I'm with me. I have a very buoyant Henry Westphalcott. How are we feeling, Westie?
0: But I think he sort of lets his sort of personality and what he wants to do override the good of the team sometimes. In terms of a top six team and a a big team in Europe, I've never looked at a team and thought they needed a striker so much.
1: He's kind of mercurial dribbling and the skill is kind of customary, you see it every game. But the end product, not so much. If
0: someone had said to you, this time next week, United would have beaten Liverpool and they would have outran Liverpool, they would have had some spirit, desire, determination, absolutely no chance is what I'd have said and I think most Man United fans
1: would have. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Divided Opinion podcast. My name is Joel and with me I have a very buoyant Henry Westmacott. How are we feeling Westy?
0: Very different to most
1: weeks, I must say. Um, I know. Absolutely
0: buzzing. Uh, yeah. Can't wait to get stuck into it, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it must have been quite a while um, mm. since you, you last looked forward to talking about Manchester United on the podcast.
0: Yeah, it feels odd. I mean, I was going into the game, obviously you knowing we were doing the recording this morning, and I was just expecting to have another sort of reflection on a, a, a bad week for United, and, you know, but still against well, we, Liverpool. Yeah. What what
1: what a way to kick start your season. I know, we were we were saying yesterday, I mean, if if Liverpool go and win four 0 again, what are we gonna say? Like what are we gonna say that we hadn't already said? Yeah. But the um yeah, the gods answered our calls and, and we're gonna be able to speak about United in a different sense today. And yeah, I'm not i I'm not over the moon about United winning. I'm not asked, but like it's nice. It's, it's nice. It's it's nice in the footballing world to be able to talk about United in a different light. And it's been so long, hasn't it? I mean, while well, I was watching the game, and we'll we'll get to the game. We'll get to the game later on in the show. In today's episode, we are going to give you a game week free reaction. We're going to go through the the five games that we think deserve the most airtime. We're gonna we're going to speak about Leicester City versus Southampton. We're going to speak in depth about Brendan Rodgers and. The mess that's going on at the King Power Stadium at the moment. Then we're going to go on to West Ham versus Brighton. Equally, West Ham have uh, endured a a difficult start to the season. Then we're going to go to Leeds versus Chelsea. Obviously, Leeds winning 3-0 at Ellen Road. And then we've got Newcastle, Manchester City. We've got Manchester United versus Liverpool at the end of our reaction for this week. Pretty mad weekend of football, to be honest. Um... Yeah, and then we're going to take you through around the grounds, have a look at the other games. going to give you our picks of the week, which are players of the week, basically. Then we're going to react to our game week three predictions. We're going to give you our game week four predictions. And then we're going to do a little bit of transfer talk at the end. Let's get straight into it, Westy. And we're yeah. going to start with Leicester versus Southampton. And I mean, the listeners, everyone, we, we've got quite a few listeners in, in like the Leicester area because obviously that's where we're from. So there will be some people that are looking forward to hearing about this and I imagine there's a few listeners that oh, I don't want to hear about Leicester but we're going to talk about it because I think it's time really to talk about Leicester there's kind of been this kind of downward trajectory for a while now kind of going back to last season really ever since the missing out of on fourth place the season before last and it's kind of been judging when to dissect the situation really um, obviously the game at the weekend uh, a Che Adams double Che Adams is from Leicester isn't he mm, yeah mm. He is from OB, so he's I from think. yeah so he's from the Leicester area he got the, a double to cancel out a James Madison free kick to seal Southampton their first win of the season and obviously Leicester now still waiting for their first win of the season two losses and a draw I mean, we can start with Southampton, but I don't think that people are particularly coming here to listen, to about, uh, listen about Southampton. Obviously, we were, I was at the game. Southampton, as always, looked balanced overall. Tactically very well drilled and very well coached by Ralph all, Obviously, I think we can talk a little bit about their business. I think they've gone about their business quietly, but effectively, Southampton. I mean, Joe Arebo looks solid. I was surprised at his size, to be honest, for a creative player like he is. And his dribbling ability as well. He's he's a unit. They've got this new signing, Bella Kotchap, who's signed from a VFL Botcham, who played alongside Salisu, who we all, all know. Obviously, he played brilliantly. They both played brilli- brilliantly. they marshaled Jamie Vardy. I don't think Jamie Vardy. I wonder what his XG is at the moment because Jamie Vardy, I don't think, has had a chance yet this season. Hassan, who obviously, well, going back to the signings, obviously, Lavia. Uh, from Manchester City in midfield next to War World Palace, looked impressive Sekumara, who we discussed last week causing problems, he had a goal called off for offside, which looked tight to be fair, um, in person but yeah, Southampton just did everything right really I mean the first kind of 60 or so minutes were, were pretty even Leicester looked good in spells, but again it's just chance creation and there's a real lack of chance creation and obviously it was kind of a carbon copy to the Brentford game so if if you guys can't remember obviously Brentford, Leicester went 2-0 up and then Brentford or Leicester sat in they started brightly then sat in and kind of let Brentford pick them off and that's exactly what happened here against Southampton so Westie, what is this is this a, this kind of habit to, to sit in and bring teams on it seems to be Leicester's downfall is it a tactical decision is it Kind of a mentality defect. I'm kind of racking my brain. Really, I can't work it out as a Leicester fan.
0: It seems to me is is it's coming from the coaching staff, from my point of view. Do you not think that from watching from the stands? Because um, it, it it wouldn't happen every week if it wasn't a, a clear sort of in like instruction from Rodgers and his staff to say if you go a goal ahead, sit in a bit deeper, make a few changes, and try and sort of shut up shop but Leicester know and all Leicester fans know that they aren't really they don't have the tools to do that they'd right. be much better off by going out and going for the second and third goal and going for the kill and, and then you can sit off when you've got a two or three goal cushion and I feel like Rogers just sometimes he he lets his sort of I don't want to say ego because it's just a bit of a strong word to use but I, I, I assume he does have a bit of an ego I think that's a well known fact in football but I think he almost lets his sort of personality and what he wants to do override the good of the team sometimes, and I don't know whether he doesn't believe in his side's ability to go and get that second or third goal, and he sort of opts to go for the more sort of sit back approach. But whatever whatever he is doing, it's not working because we saw it numerous times last season, and obviously you watched them a lot more closely than me and most people listening to the podcast, but it's definitely been sort of a reoccurring theme now for I'd probably say about 18 months.
1: Mm, it is, it has been. And I think you're right, like defensively, and I've seen Rogers called out before for his defensive as- aspect of his game. People, I've seen people saying, and like reputable people, tactical kind of experts, saying that Rogers isn't a good defensive manager. He just isn't. And this is a consistent thing, just holding on to leads or holding on to anything. We just don't seem to be able to do it when push comes to shove. I mean, that Brentford game, I've never seen a more kind of different first half and second half. I've never seen it. Like, we were all over Brentford and we know how good Brentford are. And then that second half, I mean, for me, from my standpoint, I don't see how it can be a tactical decision. Because surely someone wouldn't keep making the same mistake over and over again.
0: No, you're right, but we see it in football a lot more than you'd you'd like to think so. And but um, well, I definitely do pick up on the point that you said about a mental defect. Definitely is a bit of that in there as well, because yeah. those players will be so used to this situation happening. And you know, you you finish a game and it's just happened. You've thrown away your lead and you've drawn or lost a game. And you will believe it or not, but players will read what people say about them and what they say about the team. They'll go on Twitter and they'll read all the reaction. And Mm. they'll see people sort of slamming it and moaning it and moaning about it. And Rodgers will see it, he'll hear about it. So when it does come to the next game and they're in the same position, it's a mentality thing and they'll start doing stuff that they wouldn't usually do. So when they're defending Mm. a lead with five minutes to go, they'll think, should I be there? Should I be there? Pick up different positions and overthink everything to the point where it happens again and again because they're not sure they've not got a set way of doing things when it come when push comes to shove and they need to
1: defend them yeah. there's a few factors i believe that are going into this poor run for for Leicester. i think the obviously the fafana situation hasn't helped matters when you've got fafana sat in the sat in the in the stands not celebrating our goals you can only assume what the relationships like in the dressing room and the kind of atmosphere at the moment we've heard rumors that senior players have called him out on it and if that is the case then I've got a lot more hope for us going forward that we have got characters like that that are willing to call people out when they need to be called out because the Wesley Farner situation is he's so out of order in in many ways and I understand that football is is kind of I understand the players looking out for them themselves and you've got to be individualist individualistic at times but I don't get it with Fafana, I don't get it, we're not going to go into it, I don't really want to talk about it, we're we'll going to it another day, but I think that is having an is- uh, an impact, it must do, it's just not a happy camp, it's a toxic camp at the moment. I think there is this, well obviously the transfers also is a huge part of it, and you talk about, we talk about Manchester United for example previously, there was a feeling from my end that, with these same players being around, there would be like a deja vu almost. But now United have refreshed the squad. They've been bought players in. With us, we've not refreshed the team. These are the same faces. The same faces that many of them missed out on Champions League two years in a row. The same faces that last season disappointed in the Europa League, then had a, an, an average league campaign. These are the same players. No one's come in. It's not about completely an overhaul. And changing the whole squad but you get a few faces in there don't you we just it's not even about these players coming in and starting it's just having new faces new energy and and new ideas and and players coming in that don't have that pre-existing kind of trauma which a lot of leicester players have at the moment it seems do you think i've got a couple questions for you i mean do you, well, First of all, do you think this is kind of an end of a cycle almost for this Leicester team? We see it with loads of teams. You see an upward trajectory and then you see a downward spiral which ultimately ends up with a, a big decision whether it's a, an overhaul of the squad, a new manager coming in. Do you think that might be what's happening here at Leicester?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think Rodgers and the people inside the club know it as well. Um, but the only thing they can do, they can't do is because you haven't got the money to spend to overhaul that squad Rodgers knows he wants new faces he needs them um, everyone needs a bit of a a bit of a refresh you can just tell it's just looking a little bit stagnated now and yeah some of the players that have been there for the past four or five seasons probably do need to be moved on and but there's still certain players that that, that deserve to, to to have another shot and the, I mean there's players in there that are there for the future you know like you mentioned Jewsbury yeah. Hall your Barnes justin um there's a few of them luke thomas you've got a lot of got a lot of potential there for the squad but you just need some new faces to sort of fill the holes and and you know what i mean just just move forward and rogers wants to do that don't get me wrong you can there's no other way of putting it he definitely does want new faces but until the funds are available to him his, his hands are sort of tied
1: yeah I just... yeah, There's definitely players there that I want there. and It's not in terms of... It's not really a personnel issue for me. And it's not like a, an overhaul. It doesn't need to happen. The Rodgers debate is... Is something that... I mean, we can have it. But I'm not 100% sure on am Rodgers. I'm not... I'm not Rodgers out. I'm more at a point where... With Rodgers, it needs... I need a big act of... Just a big a statement of intent, really. I need a Rodgers to either come out if he's not committed for the rest like for for years to come and it's not here for the project the project's over he just needs to go if not I think he needs to commit and some play, some Leicester fans will say, will say I'm mad in in some ways I prefer well i in some ways I want Rogers and I don't this is holding me me holding on to the past or I, I do think Rogers is a good manager and we've had some brilliant times as as Leicester fans with him in charge i genuinely want to see It's one of the other for me he needs to go or he needs to commit and say and say to these players right i'm here. rogers is here for the next six years he's here the project's restarting again the cycle's starting again whether you're going to be here or not i think also we've kind of lost the we've moved away from or tried to tell ourselves that we're not a selling club and we haven't sold in ages we haven't sold a big player for a few years in a row we sold maguire chilwell mares Drinkwater, kante that's constant money coming in and that's how we were spending and buying more players we haven't done that in years that's gonna have to happen it's just a reality of being a leicester fan at this point and i'll a fan of a club below the top six really and players are gonna have to go i think Farn is gonna have to go and then hopefully we can move forward i mean lastly we'll move on but obviously there were rumours that Brendan Rodgers walked or he'd been sacked after that Southampton game. All the bookies had suspended bets on him being sacked. He hasn't been sacked, he's back at training, but is it time for Rodgers to go, Wester?
0: I think give him another five or six games, I think. See how you get on. Obviously you've got a bit of a bit of a tough run now. Um, Chelsea, United and then I think Man City's around the corner as well mm. so yeah um, them games are difficult anyway so it's, there'll be no shame in losing them games against teams, teams like that but it just what it'll do to the morale, say so if you do go and lose the next three or four games it could get into a really ugly place inside the stadium and yeah, in the training ground so yeah it really is a difficult one And but I, I'd think- still give him time
1: do you not have any? Do you have any sympathy for Rodgers? Oh, massive sympathy, yeah. With the sympathy. lack of
0: yeah. transfers, yeah, huge sympathy because you wouldn't be in this position if you had made six, seven new signings this summer. Uh, yeah. Got the targets that you wanted. Yeah, you might have still had a bit of a slow start with embedding in the stuff. But look at Man United—the terrible start they had, and then what happened to them last night. You know, you, you have to give managers time, but you also have to give managers the tools to, yeah. to sort of move forward. And is it like I said before? His hands are completely tied. And he's Mm. just working with what he's got and what he's got is he's what's shown last season
1: isn't enough for him to take this Leicester side forward. Yeah. And I think we'll move on, but look, watching Southampton and Leicester, it was so clear the differences between the team, Southampton, you had a team there that they haven't broke the bank, but they've brought players in that they need. They've strengthened areas that they needed and they've, and you could see it; it was painfully obvious. You saw a team that was refreshed and had renewed spirit. And then Leicester, on the other hand, you saw glimpses of what we can do. But it's always it's I honestly believe it's the more the substitutes that they're a problem than the first eleven. We our substitutes are so dull now that they've been exhausted, and they never work. They never do make any change. We'll move on to a, get another game with two teams that. Two opposite ends of the spectrum. West Ham versus Brighton. Brighton winning 2-0 away from home. I mean, Brighton continuing to put their quality on display for all to see. But what is happening at at West Ham United? West Ham continue their losing start. Thanks to Alexis McAllister penalty and a Trossard 1v1. After the kind of move we have come to know, Potter's side by. So what is happening at West Ham, Westy, What is this poor start? About three losses, three games. It
0: feels a little bit sort of like a Leicester situation. What's going mm. on at West Ham it does feel like a a little bit like the end of a cycle, despite their new signings. But we've not really seen much of them yet. Yeah. Uh, Moyes has been sort of reluctant to include them. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Mm. It, it happens. It can happen. A bit like you saw with Liverpool a couple of seasons ago. You now, when you get you do something amazing, something like Leicester, mm. where. And Leicester, when it must have been so tiring for them, don't want to keep going back to them, but West Ham the same with the Europa League last season and the yeah. two or three seasons they've had playing brilliant and finishing high up at the table. When you get on the the cusp of something really good and you don't get it a couple of times, it can really drain a, a set of players and make them question, you know, do we want to go again for this? And to me, that's all, what it looks like at West Ham. It looks like a group of players who are almost trying to just pick themselves up to to go again and I just can't see him doing it this season
1: Yeah it, it is almost like a, a hallmark of teams like Leicester and West Ham and something you kind of have to accept as a fan of the two teams or a team of that level is that there is a peak to what you can achieve mm. and unless you've got the, the big bucks the, I'm talking big money and like Newcastle may be able to evade that but there is this peak and you get to a level where you you achieve all what you can, and sometimes you don't achieve what you can, which is the case with us. And obviously, we have achieved a lot. I'm not don't get me wrong. Don't ever get it twisted. Like I appreciate the the times that we've had as as a Leicester fan and the privilege that it's been over the last few years. But that kind of period we had where we should have got Champions League football, we didn't quite get there. And then you have to accept that a lot of your players are going to move on, and you got to start it all over again. It's just kind of a a thing that you have to deal with, really. And it's i suppose—it's the jeopardy of football. I love it. I wouldn't change it for work, uh, for the world. But yeah, West Ham just looks starved of ideas, don't they? Um, mm. I think they're struggling to get hold in midfield. I think teams have sussed out the Rice and Suchek double pivot. Do you think there's also a case of Moyes needing to part with players he trusts, even if it is for a game or two? Because we've seen Skamaka's not starting, Cornet's coming in, he's not starting. Ben Rama for me, I've never really seen him kind of substantiate the 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 anticipation around his move. I've never really seen a consistent output from him. I like Fornauz. Obviously, Bowen speaks for himself. But then you've also got Michel Antonio started again at the weekend. And Skamakas sat on the bench. Do you think it is more kind of... Is he reluctant to part with these players he's trusted for the last couple of years?
0: Yeah, I think it could be that, but... Could also be the fact of simply he, he didn't might not see his new signings as them being ready. You might look at them in training and think, you know, you're not quite you're not quite at that level yet. But I think when you've had a start like West Ham have had and lose your first three games, it can only get better surely. So I think in mm. their next game, whoever they play, I can't remember. They're away at Aston Villa, so could get a result there. Yeah. Um yeah, so I mean they're going to a side who aren't on the best patch of form themselves, but yeah, I think he's definitely got to mix it up, throw some new players in, some new ideas and just get a bit of fresh life into them because they just look a little bit leggy, look a little yeah. bit disjointed and yeah, they, like you said, they just look sort of starved of ideas, but also starved of just a bit of motivation and sort of yeah. and get up and go. So yeah, they definitely need a few changes and maybe another couple of
1: signings. Mm. That Nayef Aguerd signing hit them, I think. And obviously, they're having to start Kerrer at centre-back now. And he seemed to be a bit of a, a panic buy, really. Obviously, he gave away the penalty at the weekend with a, a hasty challenge, really. A, a poor challenge, and especially on your debut. But in terms of Skamaka, I kind of want to focus on Skamaka, really. And obviously, the longer it goes on that he's not cementing his place in the West Ham team, the kind of the notion of him being a, a flop will will start to come out obviously he's very early but do you think in terms of Skamaka and I see with a lot of these players regardless of what they look like in training maybe do you not think he just needs a run in the team Skamaka so when you're playing as a number nine you just need to get used to the Premier League get used to the the players around you do you not think just give him a few games regardless of how he's playing
0: yeah definitely and you know it's a bit of a cliche but as a striker you just get a goal it's all you need is a goal and you're on your way and then Mm -hmm you'll start hitting the back of the net more regularly and that's what he needs. He just needs to, to, to start, start him at the weekend. I I think Antonio, over the past three or four years, has done really well for West Ham and he's sort of reinvented himself into loads of different positions, but obviously he's finally managed to mould himself as a striker. Yeah, But he still just doesn't quite do it, does he? Like, doesn't really yeah. sort of... He d- he when, just
1: when, is unor- unorthodox, isn't he? He's not that yeah. archetypal
0: number nine. No, and he does cause problems. I think be- maybe because he's unorthodox he causes yeah. problems. But if you're signing for if you're spending forty million pounds on someone like Skumaka sooner rather than later, you need to sort of get them moulded in and-, mm. and give them that chance to show their worth because Skemaka, the lot you said, the longer he-, he spends on the bench the more his confidence is going to drop. And then when he eventually does get onto the pitch, say in another few games' time, yeah. he's going to be a bit of shot for confidence and it's going to take longer
1: for that goal to come. Absolutely. And again, I've, I've rated what Antonio has done over the years. There's definitely kind of flaws to his game. And those flaws are where Skamaka's strengths lie. In terms of the, what I was saying about the archetypal number nine and the the attributes that comes with that, skamaka has got them in abundance I mean, I've not watched this game particularly closely, but everything I've seen spoken about him and the highlights I've seen. Apologies for being a highlight merchant again. But Skamaka has got the kind of the the awareness on the ball, the ability to hold the ball up and to pick up the right positions. There was, I can't remember the game now, but earlier in the season, it might have been the first game of the season where I saw the highlights of every time the ball went up to skamaka and every time he re- recycled it he held it up and and brought a four nows or a bowing into the game And when you've got those creative players bringing them into the game is is almost more important than than what the striker's going to do at the end of it and how many goals he gets i'd like yeah. to see skamaka come into the team definitely and i think it needs to happen we'll move on now to the i was going to say the shock of the weekend but i think man united may have taken that one leeds united versus chelsea to Leeds United. Brendan Aronson profiting from a loss of concentration by Mendy. Then Rodrigo continuing his scintillating form with a well-taken header before Harrison rounded off the scoring with a tap-in. I mean, this is the beauty of the Premier League, isn't it? Chelsea put in a performance like they did against Tottenham. We all start to think, oh, were we wrong in our predictions about Chelsea. They look brilliant. Turns out we may have been right, Westy. I think this may be a... Representative, represents. this may be symbolic of the the season that Chelsea have got ahead of them. Do you think?
0: Yeah, yeah, it seems like it's going to be a frustrating one for Chelsea and Chelsea fans. Definitely, if you don't get a striker in, because I don't think I've ever looked at a team. I mean, obviously, in retrospect, you've got other teams lower in the league that struggle to put the ball away, but in terms yeah. of a top six team and a, and a big team in Europe, it's I've never looked at a team and thought they needed a striker so much it's really he's going to be their Achilles heel if they don't get one in obviously a Bamiang looks like it's going to be close but even is he the right guy I, I wouldn't be so sure
1: But you just there's, consistency is the word for me and it, this is in both an attacking and a defensive sense but probably more so attacking which seems mad considering they lost 3-0 but obviously Sterling that was what he was brought in for is to provide a reliable output doesn't look like he's going to be able to do that, or not to this point anyway. He looks positive in the build-up play, but he's just unable to to make it pay, really. I don't get what this inconsistency is. And it's painfully obvious in all of Chelsea's attackers. We can literally go through the list. Havertz, inconsistent. Sterling now, obviously, it's too early to judge, but he's not had a brilliant start. Pulisic, inconsistent, is, is even probably... For some of these players, inconsistent is praise for them. Because that that suggests that they are good at some points. But, I mean, Ziyech, inconsistent. hudson Adoy kind of fallen off. And and I'm missing names there. There'll be more names that I've missed out. Even Mason Mount started the season pretty poorly. What is this? Like, what is this going on with Chelsea? Why can't they find any kind of consistency? I mean, it might be too difficult to, an- uh, to answer. But, I don't know, can you put a finger on what it might be?
0: Not particularly, I, I, I look at Chelsea and I just don't see a team that sort of flows, it almost looks like they don't get on with each other that much on the pitch, you know I think they've got a lot of talent on that pitch but they don't really yeah. sort of, it just seems like a, a lot of individuals playing together, um, you look at Havertz, Mount, I mean Sterling you can't really put him in that category because he's just come in and in Fairstrom, he looks like he's made a pretty decent start uh, personally but yeah and it looks like the the link from midfield to attack just isn't there and you know they've got players like Jorginho in there and i think you know i think they probably need a refresh
1: um he tried gallagher didn't he at the weekend tried gallagher and gallagher almost looked a bit of a rabbit in the headlights i think he's in the, i think he's another example of a player that it's bit he's builded up for so long him getting into the chelsea team he's a brilliant loans at charlton at west brom at crystal Palace. And now he's got into the team, it, maybe it's all just yeah, all just a that, bit too much for him, maybe.
0: Yeah, I think Palace might be his level, to be fair. Might be harsh, mm. but I wasn't mm. really that sold on him. But no, yeah, it's just difficult. You, like you say, you, you find yourself sort of umming and erring, but you can't really put a finger on it, can you? It's, I don't think Thomas Tuchel probably could. I mean, no. It just must be such a bizarre situation for him to be in because the start that he had as Chelsea manager. And obviously last season was a bit of a, a bit of a disappointing one but mm. I think he probably would have thought you know what well, I'll get my my targets in and you know yeah. we'll go again refreshed but it almost just looks like another case it looks like a, almost a larger case of Leicester and West Ham that we were both talking about where yeah. players have stagnated and the ideas that Tuchel's trying to do is stagnated because when he first came into the league we all thought wow what, who is this guy I mean obviously we knew he was at Paris Saint-Germain yeah. and Dortmund but we thought this guy can really set up a team to to yeah. not, not only win every game but to not lose or concede a goal I think remember when Chelsea went 14
1: games in the league or something without conceding a goal and just the difference between Lampard's team yeah. and he, his team I mean Lampard's team if you'd said that Lampard team was going to win the Champions League yeah. you wouldn't have believed it would you? Definitely not
0: and I think as a you, I think you can't underestimate players and how sort of How it can they can get just they the modern day player can just get bored of a manager's ideas and tactics, and as soon as that happens, it's a long way back for the manager, I think. And I think Mm. I feel like I don't I like Tuchel as well, so I I feel sorry for him if that is the case. But it just feels like the players are just sort of losing a bit of hope in
1: him. I wonder though, and I don't want to sound like Roy Keane here, but I wonder if there was anything that was going to put it down to it would be a character issue with these players and you look across the team there's obviously some great characters in that squad but i'm looking mainly when when i look at the issues at chelsea i mainly look towards the attack and you look at some of the characters that are in that team they don't strike me as as these players you know when you have these players that just seem indestructible like it seems even if they have a bad run of form they come back fighting and they find that goal and then they go on another great run of form they don't seem to have those characters at chelsea when you're bringing in someone like an Abamyang, it does not fill me with confidence at all. For example, for me, if you were going to bring in someone, and I'm not saying he's he's obviously not been tested at the top of the game, but I think for Chelsea, you want characters like a Mitrovic, you want characters like an Tony or someone, someone that really you can tell that both of those strikers are strikers in in every sense of the word, and in the sense that they believe every time they go on that pitch they're gonna score. It doesn't matter who's marking them. And Chelsea just don't seem to have those players. Havertz, he's young, obviously, and the talent is there with Havertz. We've talked about him countless times on this podcast. But the character just does not seem to be there at this point. I don't know what it is. And it's so hard when you get into the realm of when it's away from tactical. And we're now talking about kind of the psychology of the game. It's so hard to pin it down to one thing. But the character does seem to be a problem at Chelsea. I look at Pulisic, I don't believe he fully believes his own ability. Ziyech has come and he's struggled. Obviously, Werner, what does it say about someone's character if they've left a team and then they've gone straight back there? I think it's interesting. Obviously, we can't go away from this game without talking about Leeds United as well. I didn't watch the game particularly closely in terms of an analytical sense, but everything seems positive coming out of Leeds at the moment. I think the signings have really hit the ground running. And those kind of the pre-existing players that who were misfiring before seem to have found their range. He's Jesse marsh just doing a brilliant job, isn't he?
0: Yeah. Yeah, and uh, we have spoke about him a few times and I've touched on how how I think that his greatest strength looks to be his sort of man management and how he's got this Leeds team playing together and sort of united the fans again with the team and got a real feeling of sort of belief in togetherness. But yeah, I think you can just see it transcends onto the pitch, and I think a lot of people, a lot of people criticised his sort of his decisions in the transfer market this summer. You know, with the players signing from sort of the Austrian league, who'd managed the the Bundesliga, people like Aaronson, uh, Christensen Christiansen as well, one of them, uh, Rasmussen, Rasmussen, Tyler Adams, uh, and yeah, people were wondering why they were replacing players like Calvin Phillips etc. with these players, and you know he's obviously, he's had an answer to absolutely everything so far, Jesse Marsh, mm. since he's come to England. And his signings, again, proving that he is right. And if you do know players and you know how they play and you can trust them, a bit like Eric Ten Hag with sort of Martinez and plays that he wants, people criticise, but if, if that's the plays that the manager wants and you know they're going to perform the goods for you, provide the yeah. goods for you, sorry, then why wouldn't you go for it? And I think it's been exceptional with these to start, and Jesse Marsh has been the key to that. And yeah, I think they're playing really exciting football, and I think they're going to be in for a really, really solid season.
1: Yeah, and going back to the signings, he's taken risks, hasn't he? I know, in a certain sense, you'd say he's played it safe because he's gone for players that he knew yeah, about yeah. and Just, players from like yeah, the Red Bull group. Still a risk, but these were huge risks. And I've got to be honest, I looked at it, and from a kind of from a standpoint with my kind of preconceptions about certain players and and when you see these transfer well normally when you see these transfer windows of players that lists of players you've not really heard about they're from kind of teams that you maybe have not really watched and teams from abroad and not proven premier league players you do have these preconceptions and think oh we're gonna get another transfer window here where all these players don't reach the level but they seem to have and I think also you can really tell a lot from a manager, and by just how well the players that were there before are playing. I think Jack Harrison is someone that he, with him staying, is a huge plus for Jesse March and Leeds in general. Harrison, I think he got my underrated player of the season two seasons ago, and he is he's a top player, Jack Harrison, and I wonder now. With Rafinha going, with Phillips coming, uh, with with Phillips going as well, whether he'll be able to step out of the shadow and kind of be the lead man for his side. And I'm not saying he's been in the shadows and he's he's not been that those players kind of um, lessened his his impact. But I think being the star man in a team is very different. And Jack Harrison, I think, has got the ability to do that for Leeds, alongside the Rodrigos. And I mean, Rodrigo, I never saw this coming with Rodrigo. I never saw it coming. Um, he, he's he been a man possessed this season maybe it's a purple patch I mean if you're a Leeds fan you just got to hope that long may it continue and we'll see it carry on throughout this season he seems yeah he just seems full of confidence and maybe that goes back to what you were saying about the man management side of things I think as well just lastly on this game I think talking about the the players that were already there and the reason why it's working so well I think it just shows the kind of parallels between Marsh and Bielsa and I know they're very different they're different characters but their philosophies of the game I think I definitely have got some similarities Newcastle United versus Manchester City is the next game on the agenda 3-3 from a kind of a two-way standpoint it's probably the game of the weekend really Gundogan obviously put City into the lead before Newcastle rallied and found the equaliser, Westies frowning at that. Me saying that about the best game of the weekend. <laughs> Newcastle rallied and then found the equaliser and the goals to put them in front through a, a nick or and yeah, a nick off Almoron. I don't know how much. Well, it was quite. It was a, quite a good finish from him in the end. It was mm. sort of like his, his abdomen. Yeah. Um. And then obviously that all came from Alan San Maximan. And then Alan San Maximan was then instrumental in the second goal as well his kind of direct, decisive dribbling, before finding the run of Wilson, who took the ball in his stride and finished with ease. Then Trippier, strike looked to have sealed it for Newcastle until City came back into the game for a Haaland. And then also Bernardo Silva, obviously found the equaliser after being set away by Kevin De Bruyne. I think mean, Kevin De Bruyne started the season in commanding form. Um, but Alan Maximum really, I think is the kind of tape, Main takeaway from this game. He was at his unplayable best, really. I think it was arguably the, his finest performance I've seen, anyway. I mean, his kind of mercurial dribbling and the skill is kind of customary. You see it every game. But the end product, not so much. And But Sunday's game, he kind of matched his intent with a tangible return. I mean, I've never seen Carl Walker so flustered, if I'm honest.
0: No. Yeah, I, I must admit, I didn't see the game because uh, I had work commitments, but from what I watched on the highlights, like you, a bit of a highlight merchant sometimes, <laughs> you No, know, uh, Newcastle fully deserved what they got. I think they were lucky to not get a win by the sounds of it.
1: In a sense, if you just want to run down of the game, obviously Newcastle looked great. Um, Manchester City going forward looked good. I mean, Harlan scoring, it was a scrappy goal, but I think it was a sign that Haaland is just going to continue to score goals because he he's hits always him cleanly. does
0: chances. He? he hits him huh? cleanly. I saw yeah, that, it we, was just he sort of he, it was, but past the keeper without even blinking.
1: Yeah, and he's just going to get bags and bags of chances. And he wasn't really in the game too much, Haaland, But I don't think he's there to be in the game really. And obviously, De Bruyne as well was the difference maker. But it's for City. All the problems seem to be defensively. They looked unorganised. I know it was Stones and Ake, at centre-back. I'm not sure what was wrong with Diaz. I don't know if he had a little knock. But he came in, and since he came on, he just almost looked like he was chasing the game. You know when you see a player come on and they look like they've just come on into chaos almost? Yeah. And they can never really find their rhythm. That's what it seemed like. Do you think it's almost the game of the weekend? And I don't. you don't need to have watched the game to to talk about this, but do you think Newcastle... Was it a reminder for City not to be complacent or do you think maybe there is a sign of something deeper in Pep's side? I mean, they do seem light in the centre of defence.
0: Yeah. I think, think that, something I, they should be worried about? I think a bit of both. Um, but the thing is, if City, you know, it's, this could have been there the whole time and it probably has been there the whole time. It's just you very rarely see teams go at them and be able to go at them because normally City have got 70-80% possession of the ball. So when a team finally does turn on them and sort of get them behind, make them runs, sort of drop into the pockets, City players don't often know how to sort of pick them up and deal with it because Mm. they're not used to it. So I think it's something that's always been there. I think if you have watched games, obviously Liverpool are a completely different level and they have been for the previous couple of seasons, but even when you watch the Liverpool games against Man City, when Liverpool really go for them, City always sort of just crumble completely. Mm. And I think, yeah, I think it's definitely an issue for Guardiola's side, but, you know, not every, you can't get clean sheets week in, week out. You're going to concede goals. Every team's going to concede goals. So it's not that much of a worry, but they've just got to keep it under wraps a bit.
1: Yeah. And City aren't the first team that that Newcastle are going to get under their skin and, to ruffle the feather feathers of Newcastle are absolutely brilliant, and across the board. And, and Pep was sure to say it in his in his post match interview. Yeah. In terms of City's defense, though, I do think it is something to keep an eye on for the rest of the season. I think, obviously, Diaz and Laporte for me personally, there there is undoubtable their quality. Obviously, Cancello as well. But once and Laporte seems to be quite injury prone. They've neither him or Diaz seem to be that consistent in terms of. Like, how many times do we ever see, really, that Diaz-Laporte partnership? It seems to be a premium, almost. Obviously, Ake started the season positively, but I'm still not fully convinced about Ake. And it then goes back to that thing of, I don't fully believe if if he believes in his ability as a Manchester City player. Stones, I think, appears lost. I think he has since he signed that new contract. He signed a new contract, came back in, and Laporte had taken his place. Walker was at fault for both of the... Well, not at fault, but he had a big part to play in the first two Newcastle goals. He got he lost um, Alan Samaxman before Alan Samaxman put the cross in for Almiron's goal. And he was way out of position for the second goal as well. And Samaxman had a free reign on stones. And then it was Wilson one-on-one with Diaz. And Wilson got the better of him. I think it's something to keep an eye on. I think it could just be a reminder and something to just prick or perk City up and just remember they can't be complacent but I think Newcastle are just a brilliant team and yeah something to keep an eye on yeah right we're on to it now the marquee game of the weekend from Westy's standpoint I mean where do we start Westy obviously Manchester United 2-1 goals from Sancho and Rashford before a Salah consolation goal really in the second half Man United were unrecognisable weren't they Um, yeah it was roles averse really liverpool became the team playing without any conviction it seemed nothing they could they couldn't do anything right and man united it seemed like they couldn't do anything wrong for portions of that game i mean just give us your initial reaction
0: well still still in shock really i think
1: um,
0: not once after going out i mean after the brentford game if someone had said to you this time next week you know united would have beaten liverpool and they would have outran liverpool that without form, spirit, desire, determination, absolutely no chance is what I'd have said, and I think most Man United fans would have. But yeah, from minute one, it was it was unrecognisable performance. All because I was just dreading, you know. I think it could have got really sour. You know if Liverpool went one or two up, side the opening yeah. half an hour, and it could have got really ugly. But yeah, United players went out there with a points to prove, and I think the changes that. Ten Hag made were really smart, sort of I, I, I definitely questioned De Lange coming into the side when it when the team got announced, but there was clear there was clear, obvious plan to that. He was getting in behind and stretching that Liverpool defence. And that's another thing. Liverpool and City likewise, that Liverpool defence do not like getting people getting at them. And I think that's a question yeah. that needs to be raised even more because Liverpool's defence has really sort of fell off in the past sort of six to six to twelve months personally from my standpoint anyway uh, i
1: thought they were unplayable near the end of the season though liverpool like that was some of the best i've seen them play yeah, like the think, last I've, end of last season
0: i think if you look at the if you look at the the previous six to seven games in the end of the back end of last season despite winning them games they, they did always go one nil down
1: i think the last six games they've yeah gone one nil down
0: so that is a worry and i think there's just a few plays in there that have got a little bit too comfortable yeah. Um, but on yeah, for United, I mean, I was so impressed with everyone. He like the back four for starters, Martinez and Varane. I've, they've made it look really difficult for Harry and Maguire to get back in. I think because they looked formidable together. The first time they yeah. played together, I think Varane makes such a huge difference. Malicea, I thought he was exceptional against Salah. To yeah. throw someone of his age into a game like that, his first start up against someone like Mo Salah, and the way he handled yeah. it. Dallow, I've always been a huge critic of Dallow, but he was fantastic against Diaz. Won every Dallow battle. Dalo for
1: me is the one that that sticks out really because I didn't think Salah offered anything really all game, but Diaz was definitely where the threat was coming from. For yeah. Liverpool. Anyway, sorry. To yeah, no, me. no,
0: hundred percent, mate. You're 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 here to talk about the game as much as me. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, I, I just loved it. I just even I think from you can just I think people like Lissandro Martinez that he set the tone know 20 seconds in he goes through the back of Salah and gets up and he gives him a barge in the back and you know he just he sort of set the tone for everyone got the crowd going and he did it a few times I think he gave one to Milner he gave one to Diaz and he he just looks like that's what United have been missing for so long and I think other players sort of picked up off that energy and thought right I'm going to have a go as well I'm going to have a
1: go Um, but no I really like Martinez I really like Martinez I think he's absolutely brilliant And obviously there was some kind of uh, question marks for me around his height. But if he can play like he did yesterday, and there were a couple of times where he just, it's his passing as well. His passing's brilliant. Just finding that right pass and just relieving the pressure on the defense. And it is just, he plays with a real arrogance, doesn't he? Mm. And just a self-belief. He's like, his his kind of aura makes him like six foot five. Yeah. Like he, he plays bigger than he is.
0: Yeah, it's a perfect way to describe him. I think the attack, attacking output was, output was really good. I think they looked a constant threat. For I think the opening 25, 30 minutes, I think there was a gap that sort of went between 30 minutes to sort of 15 minutes into the second half where Liverpool had loads of the ball. And that was the point where I thought, you know, this is where, you know, Liverpool are going to get back into it. They're going to score one and they're going to go and get another. But I was just so impressed with United's how, how resolute they were in defence and the it was just such a change that's why you know you sort of find yourself just scrambling around for words when you're trying to look back at the game yeah. because it was unrecognisable and you don't and people like Sancho and Rashford I mean Rashford in the second half he that will be that will do so much from that goal and he mm. even just started to once he got that goal he was getting the ball putting it through people's legs running around people and, and I mean that's one of the biggest talking points for me Rashford he loves it against
1: game. he loves it against Trent Alexander-Arnold I think Rashford's always been Alexander-Arnold's kryptonite yeah he just does not seem to be able to deal with him but I just think for Rashford it goes back to the point of and obviously you saw it in the goal Rashford on the last man in behind is where he needs to be playing personally I think that's where he's most dangerous when he gets one-on-one with a keeper he very rarely misses and I think that's where he needs to be playing I think Rashford I get tired of when you see him just coming short and just I, I, he definitely can do him when he, once he gets his confidence back and the confidence to go on those mazy runs and, and run at players but for me that's when he's most effective in behind and that's the yeah. thing that always sticks out for me I mean for me I know he faded as the game went on but Eriksen like you I mean you can see now why I was so desperate for Eriksen to come to Leicester instead of Man United and it just was put into practice yesterday and you saw it in that first goal. I think his impact was, it wasn't overt. like It wasn't particularly obvious. But it's just recycling the ball. That time, when when he got the ball for that um, for the first goal, he got it on the edge of the area, didn't he? And he just remained composed. He kind of shifted on the ball, turned, and then just found the ball. I think, did he pass it into to Sancho or I don't know. I thought, but yeah, he, yeah. he passed it in so, to someone, but he just recycled that ball. And I think that's where you see that the aspect of his game that, say, Bruno is lacking in, is that ability to just remain composed and just has the ability to find the right pass. He knows when to play the through ball. He knows where to play the, the Hollywood pass, shall we say. But he also knows when to just keep possession. And it was, That was what Ten Hag was saying at the end of the game. He said, there were a few times where we could have been a bit more composed or find that extra pass. That's what Eriksen provides. He provides that ability to, mm. to just rein everyone in a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I just think... I thought he was brilliant, Ericsson. And I think Ten Hag definitely targeted a weakness there in, in Liverpool's midfield. And he kind of took a risk, really. I think Bruno... And when I saw it on paper f- before the game started, the Bruno, Ericsson, McTominay, I wasn't sure. But then I saw the, the Liverpool midfield. And they offered nothing, really, Liverpool. Henderson, I don't know what's happened to him. I've always been a, a big... Um, advocate of, of Henderson and, and his work and I think he's been a brilliant player for Liverpool over the years and he is more than just his, his footballing ability. I thought Milner just looks Milner's just, just a, time to yeah, f- just finish, isn't it, it? It's just time he's not at the level. Look, no. not a level. No Elliot anymore. yeah. Elliot for me, his development is going to be huge of and vital to Liverpool's success this season. They need him to step up. He's got the talent there were a few times where he's seen the pass, but he just didn't quite have enough to execute it. And yeah, his development is going to be really important. Another thing I'd identified just from a Liverpool standpoint, the Salah, Firmino and Diaz um, from three. I mean, we've come to, we've come to get used to seeing that Liverpool trifecta kind of working in tandem. And yesterday it was so far from that. They were so far apart. They were all really isolated. Firmino, he doesn't really offer anything other than something in a, a defensive sense, I don't think. No. He offered nothing going forward yesterday. But, yeah, I, it was – I think it was – I don't think it was like – I don't, I don't want to be pessimistic. I don't think it was like an outrageous Man United performance. I think it was – the heart was there, and that's the most important thing. And it kind of just proved that what we've been saying for ages of – the quality is there with Man United. It's all a mentality issue. Does it, in terms of that performance, does it not heighten your frustration of the like recent years or recent months? Because where where are these performances? Where have they been?
0: Mm, I mean, it heightens the frustration and I feel sort of, it goes back to other managers and it makes me feel sort of angry for them and sorry for them because, you know, these players have had this in them the whole time. And, but I think this is, I think it's just a clear sort of, Ten Hag is his, his authority is showing. I mean, the decisions he's making—dropping Ronaldo, dropping Maguire. Yeah, he doesn't care, and he is—he like will do what, it, what, whatever it takes to win games. And I don't think, no, by no means does this mean Ronaldo and Maguire are going to be out the team forever. I think Ten Hag's one of these modern managers that picks a team based on his opponents. You know, and yeah. there'll be some games where United are at home to someone else, and Ronaldo will be in there to start because he will suit that more, yeah. but. He spoke about it before the game, Ten Hag, and just how the decision to drop Ronaldo and Maguire because Liverpool were a fast team and they pressed a lot and it worked down to a T. And I think I think if you look back at Brentford last week, how United got out ran, and everyone sort of criticised Ten Hag's decision to call call off their day off and make them run that extra mileage. The um, stack here, United last night 113 kilometres ran Liverpool 110, United yeah. 155 sprints, and Liverpool 104. So, big difference. Yeah, and To ever and think United not, would yeah. outrun Liverpool?
1: No, and that that is, I mean, that was the thing, and that's why I think it's so important to kind of look towards the next game now and not rest on this too much, too long, because that Liverpool team were really poor yesterday, and they, I don't know what it is, and I'd love to just sit down with Jurgen Klopp and strip away all the bravado and all the all the mind games and just genuinely ask him like what's going wrong like what's happened has something happened in pre-season did something disrupt their pre-season plans because they look tired they look lethargic they look spent of any ideas and they just look terrible like they look awful like so unrecognizable to the liverpool we've come to know I know they might have had a dip last uh, towards the end of last season, and they may may have been link, leak, leaking goals, but the the conviction was always there. They were always sharp and, and going forward, especially. Could it be another case loss of,
0: of could it be an end of an era?
1: For that team, for that team in particular, I, don't, I think I think you're getting ahead of yourself a bit. I'm not sure. I, I think wait and see. Like this team, I don't, I don't think I think we're also discounting how difficult. The end of last season was for Liverpool, and I think you maybe have a team that are kind of licking their wounds almost after lo- losing a Champions League final, missing out on a Premier League after such a strong end to the season. and And let's get it right: Liverpool were were worthy title winners last season. They were. They didn't win it, but they only didn't because how good City were. It wasn't any of their shortcomings, really. Yeah, you could look at some the odd result earlier in the season and think, yeah, they'd got that, but genuinely Liverpool deserved to win the Premier League last season they obviously didn't so they didn't technically deserve (laughs) to win but in terms of no I think they did though they did deserve to win I don't think it's wrong to say that I know obviously you can be kind of technical with it and say oh they didn't they didn't win it so they didn't deserve to win it they did they were worthy title winners I've seen worse title winners than Liverpool last season and they came second and I think that will have a huge impact on the team and I think that's what we're seeing now personally and yeah they might need a little bit of a refresh but I don't think it's anything to look into too much. I, I personally, I, th- I kind of give Liverpool the benefit of the doubt in these kind of situations. Yeah, fair enough. Is there anything else you wanted to add on that, Westy? Any more? And do you want to bask in the glory any longer?
0: Oh, mm. oh no. <laughs> I don't know. So put me in the spot a bit there, trying to think of another another topic. <laughs> Another, another no, person to talk right. about.
1: I, didn't know if, I thought you were just, yeah, I thought you were just basking in the no, glory a little just, bit longer.
0: I was just sort of listening to your sort of Liverpool, the downfall of Liverpool, and I was yeah. quite enjoying it. And you know, to be above yeah. them in the tables, a pretty nice feeling after the bad start United have had.
1: <laughs> yeah, you've got it's the little <laughs> wins, in it. You've got. But like, I wins. think
0: going back to what you said, yeah, United can't dwell on this performance. They, they have to go and get something at Southampton, go and win the game. Obviously, Leicester after yeah. that. You know, this is where it will really show. I feel like it sounds stupid to say, but I think Roy Keane said it as well. Southampton away and Leicester away the next two games. It'll be harder for some of them. It'll yeah. be more harder for some of them. United plays in Liverpool at home. You know, because yeah. you have to. It's another game where you have to get yourself to that same level, that same intensity, without the Absolutely. Old Trafford crowd, without playing against Liverpool. So it'll be a real test of their character, and it, I think it will show the next sort of running of games. I think it's. Southampton, Leicester, Arsenal and Leeds, I think they'll be some, the real acid test for United and how far this team mm. can go.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I'll know from that, that Southampton game. First 10 minutes, you'll know. You know whether this is, a, there was how much you can take from this Liverpool game, really. Yeah. You are only as good, you know, everyone says you're only as good as your last game, but you are kind of only as good as your next game, really. Mm. And this is where we're going to judge United. Is it a, a kind of a, was that a, yeah, a, is it going to carry on we're going to skip the around the ground section because we've run out, uh, over a little bit here uh, we'll go straight on to our picks of the week I mean for me kind of in the running for the, the player of the week I think you've got Martin Odegaard obviously scored a brace um, for Arsenal against Bournemouth in their 3-0 win Wilfred Zaha got two goals um, against Aston Villa he's continuing a positive start to the season I mean, Che Adams has to be in with a shout. Didn't score a goal since February. Scores a brace and and comes on and and wins the game for Southampton. But my pick of the week is going to be Alan San-Maximan. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. Everything I said earlier in the episode. Yeah, he is my pick of the week. Westy, who's your pick of the week? It's not going to be a United player, is it? I think it has. Why can't it be? I do think there were better players. If James (laughs) Madison scored a hat-trick on Saturday, you'd have picked him. I'm not saying it's like a bias thing. But I just personally don't think there was that standout form of the night.
0: Martinez for me.
1: Yeah? Yeah. Fair I've, enough. Do yeah. you want to explain your reason?
0: Just faultless performance. Heart, energy, desire. Quality yeah. on the ball. Great defensively. I think he just stood out for me.
1: Yeah, well, I've got nothing against that. Um, yeah, so Alan San-Maximan and Lissandro Martinez were our picks of the week. Right, we're going to move on now to our predictions. So last week, I got, on my predictions, I got six points, um, obviously building on my five points the week before, so I'm on 11 points overall. I got five. you got five, I I actually
0: went for a draw last night in the United game, and that was optimistic at the time.
1: (laughs) I went 4-0 Liverpool, so (laughs) yeah. Uh, Yeah, so we're neck and neck in the predictions table. Right, we're going to rattle these predictions off. Southampton versus Manchester United, I've gone for 2-2 in this one. I've
0: gone for 3-0 to Manchester United.
1: 3-0, wow. Optimistic. Brentford versus Everton. I've gone for 2-0 to Brentford.
0: I've gone for 2-0 to Brentford as well.
1: Wow. Brighton versus Leeds. I've gone 3 all in this one. I think it could be an interesting game. I've gone 2-1 to Brighton. Right. Chelsea versus Leicester. 3pm kickoff. not on TV. Weird. 2-3 to Leicester I've gone so 3-2 to Leicester away from home at Stamford Bridge
0: I've gone 2-1 Chelsea
1: I said I never bet against Leicester mate Liverpool versus Bournemouth another one of the 3pm kickoffs. to be fair this these fixtures were actually I found these from an article quite a while ago so the TV times may have changed I'm not sure Liverpool versus Bournemouth gone 2-0 to Liverpool
0: I've gone 3-0 Liverpool
1: Manchester City versus Crystal Palace I've gone 3-0 to Manchester City
0: I've gone 3-1 to City
1: Arsenal versus Fulham the late kickoff on the Saturday I've gone 4-0 to Arsenal
0: I've gone 2-1 to Arsenal
1: wow a bit more reserved Aston Villa versus West Ham why is that a Sunday game? Oh, it's probably not on TV anyway I've gone 0-0 in that one I've gone 2-2 Wolves versus Newcastle the next Sunday game gone 1-1 so another draw
0: I've gone 2-1 to Newcastle
1: and then last game of the weekend Nottingham Forest versus Tottenham Hotspur our friend Sedge will be there hoping hoping for another Forest win I say another obviously they drew last weekend I'm going to go 2-1 to Tottenham on this one sorry Sedge
0: I've gone for a 1-1 draw
1: right yeah we'll react to them next week so at the moment I'm one point clear at the top of the table loving it loving life right we'll move on to the last segment of this week's episode obviously apologies the reaction ran over and it usually does um but hopefully that that's kind of the the uh, body of the episode so hopefully you guys enjoyed that insight yeah let's talk talk transfers Westy what have you got for us
0: Anthony to Man United it seems to be hotting up a little bit uh whether it gets done Still not sure. I think Ajax's stance is... I think they still don't want to sell him, obviously. Uh, he's one of their key players. But I think if an offer of what's being touted is around 95 to €100 million, Euros, about £80 million, pounds, I think if that comes in, it might be difficult to turn down, especially with the sort of games that Anthony's playing. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that's one f- hopeful for United fans. I mean, I'm not to be fair. I say hopeful as a United fan. The, the sort of fee being branded around is outrageous uh, so he's not worth that I don't think he's worth that no but what he's shown so far I think he's a really good player and I think he's got so much potential and ability he's only 22 but no someone who's had one good season in the Eredivisie and Champions League you can't be they're not worth 100 million but if that's what he's worth to Ajax that's what he's worth to
1: Ajax so is this not another case of just trusting Ten Hag as well
0: of course, yeah. If if he want, if he think that money is going to be well spent on Anthony, then yeah, you 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 give him that them funds and you 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 buy him. So I'm one of them things. where I hope it happens. And if it is, if you have to pay over the odds a bit, you pay over the odds. But yeah, I think Gakpo as well from Cody Gakpo from PSV, iX's uh, yeah. rivals, is another one being being touted. A lot of people are assuming that it's one or the one or the other with this one. But hearing a lot of reports saying that United are going to go in for both, which would be more yeah. an expensive, expensive duo, looking at about 150 million pounds for them both, and yeah. it's a big gamble for two plays from the Eredivisie because how many plays from the Eredivisie have sort of flourished in the Premier League in recent years? Not many. Yeah. Um, so that's I think for United that's about the transfer news that we've got at the moment.
1: Just discussing those two. I think, obviously, gapo I saw he played away at Leicester for PSV. Didn't do much, if I'm honest. He looks like a, a good player, um, like a solid player. He didn't really put the world to rights. Obviously, I know you're kind of hoping that he might be a striker, and he definitely is. A, he can play up front. But I think he has played a lot of his football off the left, and when I saw him be played off the left as well. So it'd be interesting because I do think that left-hand side is an area of weakness for United somewhere that you probably need strength I mean it's, it's weighing up Rashford and Sancho really and who you need to provide backup for more and obviously it looks like you're probably going to get it in both of Anthony and, and Gakpo anyway Gakpo seems the more sensible option obviously around 30 million pounds I don't think you can you can really argue with that can you no. and you can't really go wrong a player of his yeah I mean quality is hard to say because I've seen some people saying that against like, the bigger clubs, the bigger European teams, that he's kind of gone missing at times. But we'll see. I think he looks like a a, a solid player, shall we say. And it'd be interesting to see with Anthony. I obviously don't know much about him myself. It seems like a lot of money for him. But yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see for sure. What else have we got on the agenda, Westy?
0: So saw yesterday Italian newspapers were reporting that Chelsea are keeping tabs on Raphael Liao AC Milan obviously had a fantastic season last year for Milan in their Scudetto winning season Um, so Ballon d'Or nominee Ballon d'Or nominee as well so yeah he's sort of really really sort of sort of coming to his own in the past 18 months or so and sort of starting to realise the potential that everyone sort of knew he had for for a long time and obviously we've given Chelsea's sort of lack of firepower up front. it would i think it would be a good a good option for them because obviously naturally Liao plays off the left. um but he has played through the middle for Milan and he can play that really well as a striker. so i think he would be an upgrade on havertz definitely in terms of providing a threat in behind and more of a presence and you know scoring goals. i think he's a, he's much more of a natural finisher than havertz and this is a deal yeah. that we're not sure how 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 because how Milan at the end of the day their stance is sort of almost as if Liao is untouchable at the moment uh, yeah. but he is currently undergoing contract negotiations so I think right. Chelsea are keeping tabs on how that situation progresses because I, I think Liao is a client of George Mendes and you know that George Mendes <laughs> will always try and find the best yeah. solution for not only him but uh, his, his client as well so yeah, absolutely yeah but i think that they seem to go work hand in hand really yeah and uh, i'm surprised he's not been offered to Wolves. um <laughs> no but i think liao obviously if there is any truth in it and chelsea uh, maybe not a deal that they could get done right now maybe next summer because i think liao that might be the time when he moves on from Milan next summer if anything yeah but i think liao would be really good for the premier league he's got the profile for it he's got the pace he's got the the ability close control he's got everything so yeah that's a yeah. deal to keep an eye on
1: yeah I'll definitely be keeping an eye on that Leal is obviously a name that I've known about for a very long time now um, and someone that you yeah you want to see in the Premier League I think with Chelsea it's just it's like a revolving door isn't it there's just players coming in and out and that's almost part of the problem I think and again you can't just persist persist with players that aren't at the level but I think there has to be a level of kind of trusting players and, and giving players time to bed in and, and giving them assurances that they're, they're going to be given this senior role. I mean, how many players do they need? It's it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, if they, it looks like they are going to get Aubameyang. So it's just, it needs to just be a it's kind of consistency thing, isn't it? It's just mm-hmm. keeping a bit of stability. There's no stability. And to be fair, that's the, that's the model that Chelsea have been run on for so many years. And it has worked to this point, but obviously they're under new um, new ownership now. So yeah, it's gonna be interesting. Obviously linking to Chelsea as well. Got some rumours, both Talksport and Adrian Kajumba from the Daily Mail reported that Chelsea one's reported that Chelsea have tabled the offer of fifty million plus ten million in add-ons for Anthony Gordon, Everton winger Anthony Gordon, and another one has um have, have said that Chelsea are ready to bid sixty million. For Everton winger Anthony Gordon, what are your early thoughts on this? I think obviously Everton are standing firm; they really don't want to get rid of Anthony Gordon, and it is understandable. I think Lampard's a big fan of him. I'm a big fan of him as well. Are you? What do you think? Is is Gordon worth sixty million? Is he a player that Chelsea should be pursuing? I don't
0: think he's worth sixty million uh, at the moment. I think he's certainly got potential to be a sixty million pound player in the future. Um, but if, with for me with Gordon. I think, well, for one, I think he should stay at Everton. I think he's got something good going there, despite Everton's sort of up-and-down form and no-one really knows what's going to happen with Everton this season. He's sort yeah. of their shining light and he can he can go on and do good things for Everton, take him to that next level. Um, but in terms of Chelsea, they, they need to let's just focus on a striker, focus on a midfielder. I mean, they, they're spending £50 million, £60 million on Kukurea when they've got other options in that area of the pitch. Uh, Raheem Sterling's just come in at, on left wing and Anthony Gordon's predominant position is off on the left wing so one of Chelsea's mm. main issues over the past few years has been signing players and then not accom- not accommodating to their strengths and playing him in their best positions look at Mount, yeah. Mount when they play him off the right Havertz they're dropping him putting him as an as a out and out number nine he's not an out and out number nine uh, so yeah. they need because they'll only buy Gordon and that means Sterling or or Gordon's gonna to have to play in a position that that's not their strength. So they need to just focus on getting players in who suit the profile of what they need, who are yeah. out and out in that position. So I don't think Gordon is would be a good signing for obviously he'd add them something, he'd add them quality, without a doubt. Yeah. But not for me, no.
1: I think from both sides it doesn't seem like a good deal at this point. I think like you said earlier, I think Gordon it would be in his best interest to stay at Everton. He's got something good going there. He he's he's loved by the fans. He's I think Lampard. You can say what you want about him as a manager, but there is evidence to say that he is good with young players. And and some of the young players that he brought on during his time at Chelsea, obviously Derby County as well. And I don't think yeah, I don't think it'd be a bad idea for for Gordon to stick around at Everton. I'm just having a flick through. I can't really see any other big stories. Have you got anything else written down on your on your? sheet Westy
0: yeah. I did actually see some, some nice news David Brooks has signed a new deal at Bournemouth so oh, obviously after what he went through last year yeah. and coming back into yeah. the team it's nice to see that he, his hard work and everything's paid off by getting a new contract and yeah I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing him back on the pitch In yeah,
1: he's a player that I've always been yeah, a he's huge fan he's of so David talented
0: Brooks. ever since he was at Sheffield United so yeah to, to, to have him back at full health and fitness is, you can't really put a price in it can you
1: no, no, it's brilliant. It's great to see, and it's nice to have some, some positive news. Um, Crystal Palace are interested in Leicester midfielder Bubakari, Samari. Obviously, we signed him from Monaco last season. This is coming from Rob Dorset at Sky, so it's a pretty good source. I think it would be a good signing for Crystal Palace. I mean, we've talked about before that they maybe lack that player alongside. The new signing, Decore, obviously, schlups in that kind of eight role at the moment. Uh, the box-for-box midfielder. Schlupp did score at the weekend, but it was called off. He um, was offside. I get the feeling that Schlupp's a bit of a fan-favourite at Crystal Palace, and there's not really anything to not like about him in the sense of his of his work rate. I think Samari would be a good signing for them, and to be honest, we need money, we need to sell players, and Samari would be one of the expendables in our team, so I'd like to see that happen. Nicholas Pepe. There's talks with him going to OGC Nice. Um, positive conversations today over a loan deal until 2023. We can tie this in also with Pedro Neto, who looks to be on Arsenal's wish list and would probably be the replacement for Pepe. Start off with Pepe. Do you think there's any way back for him now? Um, do you think it is best to just go back to to Liga Un, the league that he knows, the league that he knows that he can can play well in? Yeah, what what are your thoughts on, yeah. on this one?
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't really see a way back from Arsenal. I think sort mm. of Arsenal have got their got their squad, and Arteta knows what he wants from everyone. And you can, I mean, you can tell that Pepe will know himself that he's not in his plans. I mean, yeah, but barely features, and when he does, he doesn't really offer anything. So, yeah, I think it's in his best interest to yeah go back to france and sort of build his career back up from there i think this doesn't set this doesn't mean this isn't his, his last big move you know obviously you you might not if he goes somewhere else and does really well he might yeah. get another big move to somewhere else so he's just got to get his head down and get yeah. back to enjoying i think enjoying football is the main thing really for someone like pepe because
1: yeah. i think we know, we all know the talents there and i think Arsenal exactly. would, would testify that as well Lastly we'll finish on Pedro Neto obviously Wolves apparently are demanding a fee of 50 million pounds of Pedro Neto which suggests that they are willing to let him go. Um yeah. I think Arsenal and Manchester United are the two teams that are maybe in the race. Arsenal look most likely. I think this would be a good signing for Arsenal. I mean mm. he's obviously had some issues with injuries. Um I think he, he's played well when he's been fit. I think it'd be an exciting option for Arsenal and let, they're in a kind of privileged position now where they've got players that are really playing brilliantly and they've got those first-choice players. They kind of just need to bring in exciting talent with the right mentality to come in and, and push those players on and, and offer competition for places. What do you think? £50 million for Petro, Pedro Neto? Does that sound around about yeah. the right fee? Yeah, I think
0: it's quite a good price for someone of his age and his sort of... What he's already done in the Premier League and what he can what he can bring to a side, then I think Arsenal would be a good 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 place for him because obviously you go and people say oh but Saka plays in his in his yeah. position but Saka I mean you've got to look after the the, the kid as well yeah. you know he's played plays almost every minute of every game and the thing if you look at his goal contributions sort of in the last I think it's in the last twenty five to thirty games they have sort of took a bit of a downward spiral despite him still contributing with good performances don't get yeah. me wrong he's still a fantastic player but I think yeah he's going to, end, going to end up running him into the ground I think if you look back in the past at Arsenal look at someone like Chat Wilshere who come into the side and yeah played 55 60 games a season it's not good for someone so young so mm. you could they can burn out I think that's that'd be good for Neto because it would Neto can play off the left I mean he could even play through the middle but yeah, he could definitely provide a bit of comfort for Saka where Saka knows that he didn't have to play every minute of every yeah. game despite Saka will definitely still want to
1: yeah I know and I think it also goes back to mentality seems to have been a theme in this episode but you it, it can be kind of what's the word you just used um, burnt you can get burnt out burn. in a mental standpoint yeah and, and aspects as well as physical and we know yeah. the the Arsenal fans they demand so much from their players and they, they they put these players in such a positive light, which is brilliant, and obviously Saka will love that. But there's also a, a, a strain that comes with that and a pressure that comes with that. And I think, yeah, bringing in a player like Neto, it's kind of deputy um, Saka, which, I mean, Neto's probably older, so pretty mad to say. But, <laughs> yeah, I don't think, I think that would be a good signing for Arsenal. And like I said, just off, someone to offer com- competition. And, yeah, Arsenal look, I know they haven't been top of our agenda today i think when we really start talking about them when when they start playing these big teams and we'll see them against the the real yeah the big boys and the people they're going to be competing for these champions league spots with but Arsenal look really really strong and they, it looks yeah. like they can do no wrong at the moment anyway we are going to round off the episode there We we tried to keep it we said max an hour it's now an hour and 20 minutes I think that's just testament to how much we had to talk about, and obviously it was a pretty mad weekend of Premier League football, in in more ways than one. Um, Thank you for joining me, Westy. Some brilliant insight um, from your end today. I'm sure the listeners appreciated it. Did you enjoy the episode?
0: Yeah, I mean, I enjoy every episode just as much, mate. It's always a pleasure to be joined by you and talk about the great game that we love.
1: Yeah, exactly, mate, exactly. We'll be back next week. We're trying to keep it to a weekly schedule now. Obviously, we've done it a little bit earlier this week, so we can give you our fresh reaction to the Premier League game week that's just gone past. Obviously, next week we'll be back to react to game week four. It's it's going to go. It's going to come thick and fast now. The fixtures. I think the fixtures go a bit mad now up until the World Cup. Um, so yeah, thank you for joining us, guys. Um, if you enjoyed the episode, make sure to follow the podcast. Uh, put your notifications on as well if you want to be notified when the next episode drops tell a friend if you enjoyed it and you think they might enjoy it as well if you want to interact with us if you want to see some match reports uh, transfer updates go and check us out on instagram at divided opinion we really enjoy what we've been doing recently on there and we also put clips out from the podcast and kind of supplement that with some like an article as well if that's something that you'd like to take in head over there and check that out Thank you for joining us, guys, and we'll speak to you next week.